Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with Jacob being deceived by his sons as we pick up in Genesis chapter 37, verse 39. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Reuben came back to the pit and saw that it was empty. And he tore his clothes and he returned to the other brothers and he said, the child isn't in the pit and I don't know what I'm going to do. And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat with long sleeves and brought it to their father and said, we have found this coat. Do you know whether or not it is your son's coat? And he knew it, and he said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn in pieces. And Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth, and he mourned for his son for many days. And all of the sons and all of the daughters, daughters plural, so he had other daughters, only one is named, They rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. And thus the father wept for him. Jacob, the deceiver, deceiving his father to get his brother's blessing, ends up being deceived. Deceived by his father-in-law Laban, and now deceived by his own sons. Notice the sons didn't say anything about it. They they let the old man come to his own conclusions. They just brought him a bloody coat and said, do you recognize this? It just happened to belong to your son. And they let their dad just jump to the conclusions that an animal must have killed his son. Joseph is no doubt torn in pieces. And and they let him jump to that conclusion and then let him believe it. But they were deceiving him. And so again, he who deceived ends up being deceived. Now, the last verse seems to belong more. Well, it just closes off this chapter. And then chapter 38 is just sort of a separate little story all on its own. The Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer. The word officer here in Hebrew literally is eunuch, a eunuch of Pharaoh's and the captain of the guard. Now chapter 38 is just thrown in to give us a little bit of historic background concerning the ancestry of Jesus Christ. For even as marvelous a person as Joseph was, his was not to be the blessing of having the Messiah come through him. The Messiah was to come through the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of Joseph. And so God, by his own election and choice, choosing the tribe of Judah, that it might be by grace and not by works. Shows us a little insight into Judah and the fact that the ancestry of Christ isn't really a pure kind of an ancestry. 
There are several insertions into the ancestry of Jesus that if we were choosing a family background for our own son, we probably wouldn't have chosen. But in order that he might be fully identified with each of us, God did not choose a perfect lineage to bring him from, but imperfect in order that we might feel an identity. Now it came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and he turned into a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her and went in unto her. Now, customarily, if you wanted to get a wife, you'd have your father go ahead and arrange a dowry. You have a big ceremony and everything else. Judah didn't bother to go through all of this. He just went down, saw this gal, Shua. She was probably a nice-looking girl, and he just decided that... Uh, Let's just go ahead and, and uh, you be my wife. We'll just live together. And so he took her and went in unto her. And she conceived and bare a son and called his name Shelah. And he was at Chezeb when she bare him. Now that's only about eight miles from Hebron. Judah took a wife. Uh, she conceived, actually bore three sons, Ur, Onan, and finally, uh, Shelah. Now, the interesting thing is that Judah was to be the father or in the ancestry of Jesus Christ. But Shua wasn't evidently God's choice for his wife. It was Judah's own willful choice. He just saw the gal, was attracted to her, they started living together and they had three sons. But it wasn't in the plan of God that Shua should be the mother of those descendants that would bring forth the Christ child. And thus Judah's action was no doubt out of the plan and will of God. I would imagine that she was a Canaanite. She was attached to her Canaanite gods. Judah maybe thought that he could convert her to Jehovah. She evidently wasn't converted because the last two sons are named with Canaanite names. Judah no doubt named the first son, Hebrew name, but the last two are Canaanite names, which means that she began to have a stronger and stronger influence. Now, Judah knew that from his seed there was to come one day the Messiah, and thus uh, he went out and he made arrangements for his son to marry this girl whose name was Tamar. So he took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. And Ur, verse 7, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. Now, it is interesting, it doesn't tell us what his wickedness is, nor does it tell us how God killed him. But God did not want this son, born of Shua, to be in the line of the Messiah. So before this son of Shua could have a child, because of his own wickedness, God killed him. Now, a part of the code in those days was that if your brother died before he had a son, 
Then it was the obligation of the next oldest son to take that same woman as a wife, and the first son would be named after the dead brother. And this later became incorporated as a part of the Jewish law, but it was already the code in uh, the earlier laws of Hammurabi and others. It is there as a part of the codes of the earlier laws. It was already an accepted practice and was later incorporated into the Mosaic law. And so Onan, the next brother in line, was to take Tamar as a wife and bear a son. And he went in unto Tamar. But it said he spilled his seed on the ground, and so God killed him. Now, the reason that God slew him was his failure to be obedient to the law that God had established of raising up a seed for the dead brother. It was a rebellion against that established law of God for which God slew him. And so this scripture here where Onan spilled his seed upon the ground and God slew him must be taken in its context. It is not an argument against these practices that men have used it as an argument against them, but it is actually because uh, he failed and rebelled against the law of God in raising up a seed for his dead brother. That is why the Lord slew him. And the thing which he did, verse 10, displeased the Lord, wherefore the Lord slew him also. Then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow at your father's house till Shelah, my son, be grown. For he said, lest peradventure he die also as his brothers did. And Tamar went and dwelled at her father's house. Now, Shelah was still a little young to get married. He was the youngest of the three brothers. But Judah, more than that, was fearful. Man, if, if two sons have died in, in an abortive marriage with this gal, he didn't want to lose all three sons. And so he says, you go home to your father's house and you dwell there. And, and he just sort of forgot her, just sort of tried to put her out of sight, out of mind kind of thing, and uh, just let her go. And now in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. So this gal that he married that really wasn't God's choice at all died, and she must have been fairly young because uh, Judah was only about 40 years old at this time. And so she must have been fairly young when she died. And Judah was comforted and went up to his sheep shears. Now, it doesn't seem like he spent too much time mourning over her. I would imagine that the marriage turned into a pretty sad affair. It was not really God's purpose that Shua be in line with the Messiah. She was a Canaanite and no doubt never did convert and uh, began to exercise more and more influence upon the family. And uh, the Lord has now removed her at an early age and Judah was comforted. And then he headed out for the party of uh, sheep shearing because sheep shearing was always accompanied by big celebration and parties. It was just a fun time of the year and they would gather together and shear the sheep and then they'd have a big party. And so he went to Timnath, he and his friend Hira, the Adulamite, the Adulamite. And it was told Tamar, 
saying, Behold, your father-in-law is going up to Timnath to shear his sheep. And so she put off her widow's garments, and she covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which is by the way to Timnath, for she saw that Shelah was grown, and she was not given unto him to wife. Now, her father-in-law had not been treating her right. Shelah is now a man, and he's supposed to be her husband, but they haven't been back to claim her, and so uh, she's going to start to take things in her own hand in putting on the veil and sitting in this place, actually she is taking on the guise of a temple prostitute. Among the Canaanite women, it was very common to be a temple prostitute. And even married women were required to give a certain amount of time uh, during their life to serve their God in this way because the fertility processes were worship in their primitive worships of God, their worship ceremonies of God. And so the women were required uh, during times uh, of their life to become temple prostitutes. They were giving their life, in a sense, to their God uh, and the goddesses of fertility. And so she put on the garbs, the veil, of a prostitute and sat in the path on the way to Timnath. Now when Judah saw her, now it was maybe that she was hoping Shelah would see her and uh, would, uh, then he was the one supposed to marry her anyhow and uh, she maybe was figuring to catch him but instead the dad saw her and of course his wife is now dead and so he thought her to be a prostitute because she had veiled her face and he turned in unto her by the way and said, I pray thee, let me come in to thee. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, how much you give me? And he said, I'll send thee a kid from the flock. And she said, will you give me a pledge till you send it? And he said, what pledge do you want? She said, I'll take your signet and your bracelets and the staff that is in your hand. And so he gave it to her, and he came in unto her, and she conceived by him. Now this business, what pledge shall I give thee? Interesting, the giving of a ring and a marriage actually comes back to this. The pledge to show sincerity. The pledge was always the purpose to show, I, I've made a promise to you, and now to show you that my promise is sincere, I give you a pledge. And so the ring is a pledge to show the sincerity of the agreement or of the promise. It's a guarantee of the promise. And so that's the purpose of, of a ring in a wedding. It's a pledge by which you're guaranteeing the fact that you're going to keep that agreement, that covenant that has been verbally made. And so he went into her, she conceived, and she arose and went away and she put the veil from her and put back on her garments of widowhood. And so Judah, embarrassed to come back himself, sent the kid by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite, to get his pledge back from the woman. But he could not find her. Then he asked the men of that place, saying, where's the prostitute that was sitting here by the side? And they said, there's no prostitute around this place. And so he returned to Judah and he said, I can't find her. And also the men of the place said that there wasn't any prostitute around there. 
And Judas said, well, let her keep it then. You know, let's not press it any further. I'm embarrassed about the whole scene. And so uh, I at least sent the kid, and you haven't found her, so we did what we could. Now, it came to pass about three months after that that someone told Judah, Tamer, your daughter-in-law, has played the uh, harlot, and she's with child by whoredom. And Judah said, bring her out, and we'll burn her. The whole thing with Tamar had been a, a, a sort of an uncomfortable thing, and he probably thought, oh, I'll finally get rid of her, and, you know, that's, that's it now. But he had a surprise coming. <laughs> when she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man who owns these, I am with child. And she said, Take a careful look, I pray thee. Uh, do you recognize this signet? and these bracelets and this staff. And Judah acknowledged them and said, she has been more righteous than I because that I gave her not to Sheila, my son. But he knew her not again. But it came to pass in the time of her travail that behold, twins were in her womb. And it came to pass when she travailed that one of them put his hand out and the midwife took and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread, saying, This came out first. And it came to pass, as he drew his hand back in, that, behold, his brother came out. And she said, How hast thou broken forth? This breach be upon thee. Therefore his name was called the breach, or breaking forth. And afterward came out his brother that had the scarlet thread upon his hand, and they called his name Zara. So twins were born. And again, it's interesting, the one seemed to be coming out of the womb and suddenly retracted his hand and the other was born first because the other was to be the one through which the line of, of Christ was to come. So Shua and her sons are out of the way as far as the line and genealogy to lead to Jesus Christ. And now the genealogy of Christ is going to come through Perez, the son of of Tamar. So God finally has things worked around now. The way he had wanted them, it was a long roundabout process, uh, and yet God has very interesting ways of working out his plans and his purposes in our lives. So chapter 38 of Genesis, why was it put in the record? I don't know. But I'm sure that God had a purpose for putting it in the record. And perhaps one of the purposes is to show that Christ came from just common, ordinary, human, passionate people who are not at all perfect in order that we might be able to better identify with Jesus Christ ourselves because we are plain, ordinary, passionate people far from perfect. And perhaps God is wanting to show how that his purposes can overrule man's mistakes. Judah in his own flesh, going out and choosing Shua as a wife, but God not wanting Shua to have anything to do with the genealogy that will lead to his son. Tamar being God's choice. And so by this roundabout process, brings Tamar into the picture so that her son will be the one 
that will come in the lineage of Christ. Now it is interesting, in Matthew's gospel, when Matthew traces the genealogy of Christ, there are four women that are mentioned, one of them being Tamar. Of all of the women that were in the ancestry, because there was a woman for every man naturally in the genealogy of Christ, four women were named, Tamar, Rahab. Now Tamar was there, she played the prostitute. Rahab was there, she was a professional prostitute. Ruth, who was a Moabitess, and Bathsheba, who became David's wife through very seamy circumstances. And so the four women that are named by Matthew in the genealogy of Christ are four of what we would choose to be most unlikely candidates to be in that line that would bring forth the Savior to the world. And they are the four that are mentioned by Matthew. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Genesis on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Genesis 37 through 38 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today. P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and bless you, give you a beautiful day tomorrow. And so God keep you and may he help you to begin to comprehend what is the length, the breadth, the depth, the height of his love and begin to understand more and more the things that he has prepared for those who love him and wait on him. May God cause his grace to abound towards you through Jesus Christ our Lord. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California.
Have you ever thought about this simple phrase, God loves you? This just might be the most important truth you could ever grasp, that God has called you into a loving relationship with himself. Unfortunately, many of us have been brought up to think that we need to earn God's love. In Chuck Smith's book, Why Grace Changes Everything, Pastor Chuck imparts years of wisdom from his own experiences, how he thought he had to work hard and deny his own desires for God to love him. But when he unlocked the secret to God's grace, this changed everything. Come alongside Pastor Chuck to discover an astonishing truth about your relationship with Jesus Christ. That it's not based upon your works, but based upon God's love for you. It's true. Grace changes everything. To find out more and to read a preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order this book in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-9673.